Welcome to another edition of Team Turnbuckle. This will be a SmackDown and Raw edition with your host. I am Keith Fleming with my co-host Ronald Tinsley, and I can hear your dog is also excited about this podcast. You doing okay today, Ronald? I'm doing great, Keith. How are you doing today, brother? Not bad. What's the name of the dog? Her name is Okoye. And it's a uh, big fan. Huge fan of the podcast. She's almost always with me when I'm recording. That's what I like to hear. That's my kind of dog. Uh, This week, we are going to be discussing, and we've decided because SmackDown was not, uh, to be honest, there wasn't a lot that happened, especially compared to the Money in the Bank pay-per-view on Sunday and Raw, which was actually a really good episode. So we're going to start the episode just kind of breezing through what happened on SmackDown. And then we'll do our normal recap of both the pay-per-view and Raw uh, right after that. I do want to say before we get started that if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, we appreciate it. If you would follow us on iTunes, you can also hear our podcast on Spotify. Uh, Please be sure to rate and review our podcast. I know that iTunes, the the more rates and reviews you have, the the higher you up in the search engine to where if somebody's looking for a sports or wrestling podcast, it's more likely that this podcast and the IB Sports podcast feed would come up. Not to mention we have other podcasts on the feed like the RC Report. Uh, Myself and Alan have our gambling podcast, The Backdoor Cover, and many, many more. So we would appreciate all your support. So real quickly, like I said, I'm just going to go through the results of SmackDown, uh, and then we'll go into the pay-per-view. Sonya Deville uh, defeated Mandy Rose, continuing their feud uh, that has been ongoing. The interesting thing in this was we saw a little bit of a mean streak and Mandy Rose, which we hadn't seen before, at least not to this level. She at one point threw Sonya into the table, called her a bitch. So that was kind of shocking. And reasons only WWE knows, they they gave us the exact tag team title match that we're going to get Sunday for the pay-per-view, which we'll discuss in a minute. On the show on Friday, Miz and Morrison prevailed over the Forgotten Sons, Lucha House Party, and New Day in a Fatal Doorway. Uh, Jeff Hardy returned on um, to give a promo. Sheamus mocked him about not being reliable, uh, you know, basically about his, unfortunately, his past with drugs and alcohol and how people don't support him and the old Jeff Hardy is not coming back. Eventually, they got into a scuffle in the ring, and Jeff Hardy, you know, hit a twist of fate and a swanton bomb. They're definitely moving forward to that program somewhere down the line. Bray and Braun had one final meeting in the ring. Uh, It was really nothing that we have not seen before, particularly with, you know, Bray telling Braun to come home and that he needed to give him the title and then the Wyatt family could be rejoined. So it's something that we've seen before. Uh, Tamina and Lacey Evans defeated Bailey and Sasha by pinfall. Tamina actually pinned Bailey, so that was of significance. And then the main event was Corbin, Shinsuke, and Cesaro defeated Drew Gulak. Daniel Bryan and Otis by pinfall at the close of the show. We've seen this before. They have a brouhaha, kind of a preview of the Money in the Bank match. 
Uh, Otis actually, when he tried to climb the ladder, one of the rings, you know, the actual steps that he's climbing up broke. And then we had uh, Corbin actually get to the top, grab the briefcase, and close the show with it. So that was SmackDown. Uh, Sunday night was Money in the Bank. It was a really good pay-per-view, particularly the pacing and uh, just, you know, the fact that it it was done by 10 o'clock, which is uh, pretty impressive for WWE. I don't know if that had anything to do with the last dance uh, and the fact that they knew that it's been getting high ratings. They show one episode at nine, the other at 10, but uh, you actually could have caught the tail end of the first episode of The Last Dance, which I believe was episode seven, uh, and then all of uh, episode eight, even with watching the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. So that was really cool. But the pay-per-view opens with Jeff Hardy beating uh, Cesaro. Uh, you know, these are two great workers who are, you know, we know how good they are in the ring. Uh, it was a good match. I wouldn't say it was a great match. It wasn't given a ton of time. Uh, but my question is, cause you know, Jeff Hardy's obviously back. He's a former champion with his issues outside the ring. Do you think WWE has big plans for Jeff Hardy right now? Or are they too worried that he's going to have a relapse or issues to trust him to be, you know, a main cog in their SmackDown show? I think that they are going to have to kind of slow play this see how the rest of 2020 plays out, especially uh, with the way things are going and not knowing when they'll be able to move back to having full live audiences and such, you know, they're in a kind of a predicament where they can't take uh, many risky moves, uh, especially on someone like a Jeff Hardy. uh, And as much as I love him. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I am interested to see, though, with the rating struggling and, you know, Jeff being somebody who is in the past, you know, he's, he's moved merchandise. He obviously typically gets people talking. And then also, even though they're on different nights with AEW getting Matt Hardy, I just I could see WWE and Vince with the way he is being kind of spiteful and being like, we have the better Hardy brother. We're going to, you know, give him a bigger role just to kind of show AEW what's up. I could see Vince doing something wonky like that. (laughs) So in the tag team championship match, the New Day did retain uh, in a repeat of the Fatal 4-Way from SmackDown. Now, against the Lucha House Party, the Forgotten Sons, and Miz and Morrison, uh, a good match again, but like we questioned with the Friday night, the fact that you gave us the same match um, within two days of each other we really kind of questioned the booking behind that. Um, like, I really couldn't see the New Day dropping the titles, and, you know, that was something that we kind of talked about. But what was really the purpose of doing the same four-way on Friday night? I- I'm not sure, other than just maybe they wanted to give Miz and Morrison a win because, you know, they, they won the match on – Friday, maybe they wanted to, you know, highlight all four of the teams to a, you know, a cable crowd and those that don't subscribe to the network. You know, I have an issue with that. I honestly have a bigger issue that if the New Day are going to retain, I don't understand why you wouldn't just had a simple regular tag team match. Forget the fact that we have, you know, the coronavirus and everything going on and getting eight people 
uh, together in the ring when you already have a Money in the Bank match that's going on simultaneously. So you have 12 people uh, interacting in close proximity. But just the fact that the New Day are eight-time tag team champs. They, they don't need the clout of beating three other teams because we know in a fatal four-way, it's really difficult for the champion because they may not even be involved in, in the finish and lose their belts. So if New Day was going to go over, I don't know why you wouldn't have just had them go, you know, particularly with the Forgotten Sons or the Lucha House Party. And even if the Lucha House Party or the Forgotten Sons lost, they get the rub of going toe-to-toe with the New Day, the exposure. It's, a, you know, a close, you know, highly competitive match. Uh, I, I don't really understand. And it's weird because the tag team booking has been strange Honestly, since WrestleMania, uh, because, you know, they had the the back-to-back triple threat matches uh, with singles uh, because, you know, I think some of the guys were sick, but uh, they had the tag team belts change hands from a a triple threat singles match and then now a fatal four-way. It's weird. It's almost like they're avoiding regular tag team bouts right now. Which is really a shame because, you know, I personally love good tag team wrestling. You know, we speak of especially uh, the excitement of their competitions tag team division. And they do have a ton of really good tag teams. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really understanding that either. Uh, R-Truth was scheduled to face MVP uh, on the show when Bobby Lashley, who... Again, you have to wonder if maybe some of the powers that be are listening to this podcast because we have really pushed for Bobby Lashley. Like, we don't understand what they were doing with him. Bobby Lashley is a freak of nature. I mean, he is a giant of a man. I really, we both really liked him when he was with Leo Rush. We haven't totally understand the, you know, the Lana thing. I, I, I really didn't like the Rusev storyline. I felt like that killed all of his momentum and felt like it went on for forever. But I mean, they should be using this guy. They don't have really a heel beast. Brock is Brock. Who knows when he's going to show back up. Braun Strowman is your face and his champion. And I feel like a, a good company needs that heel beast. And they are slowly building him back up because our uh, truth made the mistake uh, after Lashley told MVP to take the night off of slapping him in the face. Lashley made very quick work of our truth and he is starting to look like somebody that they have big plans for. And they, uh, you know, reiterated that on Monday when, and we'll talk about that then, but he continued uh, this streak of him looking strong, both in the qualifier for the final spot of the money in the bank match, this match here. And then again on Monday night raw. So I'm pretty excited to see what they're going to do with Bobby moving forward. As am I, you know, I I would definitely be in for him getting another push, maybe hopefully getting another singles title on him. I mean, I think that that Intercontinental title reign that he had uh, was way too short. They underutilized him. He had had a great mouthpiece with Leo Rush. And now that it looks like they're starting to generate some buzz in the story that they're using with him, I am very excited about uh, what they're going to be doing with him, hopefully moving. And Well, I was just going to say, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, apparently Sami Zayn, you know, he's he's not competing because of the fears of 
the virus and stuff. And WWE did allow their performers to decide that the intercontinental title has been vacated now. And they have already said that they're going to have a tournament, uh, to, uh, crown a new champion. Uh, and I, they've been talking about this potential rule where they will let guys, uh, go back and forth or is last year. No, last year's on raw. Right. So yeah. So with this rule, they're kind of going back to the wild card rule. I hope they allow Bobby Lashley to enter that tournament. And if they did, I would think he would be a favorite for it. I would totally agree with that. And, you know, like we were, like I just said, putting a mid card tail on him and letting him, you know, kind of letting the reins off of him a little and let's see what he's really, really got. Let's push this guy. I mean, He's got he's got all the talent for it. All we just need is the right story and quote unquote maybe the right mouthpiece, and we can get that to happen. Now, before the Bailey and Tamina match, Sasha was being interviewed backstage. Bailey interrupts her and is like, "Let's go." Basically, cuts off the interview, and Sasha was not pleased, and it was visible. That had me believing that we were going to see something a little interesting playing out in the match with Tamina. In the match, Bailey, you know, spent the early part of the match working on Tamina's legs as one would. It, it was a great strategy, working on the big person's leg, and threw some water in Tamina's face. Now, that's when Tamina got a little upset, started mounting a little comeback, sent Bailey flying over the announcer's table. Now, she looked pretty strong, and for a moment, I thought that there was a chance that your prediction of her winning could have came true. But then a little bit of interference from Sasha led to a roll-up from Bailey. Now, what surprised me here is that they didn't push what had happened pre-match. Tamina was quite impressive in this. Was there anything really surprising that came of this entire thing? Man, at this point, we, we know how I feel about the way too slow burn in the Sasha Bailey feud. And I, I'm i not surprised that WWE, once again, with the start-stop, uh, you know, you, you tease it before the match, and then they work perfectly, cohesively as one unit during the match. I'm just, I'm so over this. And, uh, you know, I'll have a big opinion on this when they finally turn on each other. Yeah. D ditto. I, you know, too much of a slow burn for me. Uh, next was the first of the two title matches as Braun Strowman took on Bray Wyatt. I have to give Ron L credit. He predicted on the preview for the pay-per-view that if Bray showed up as Bray Wyatt and not The Fiend, we knew Braun was in a, a good place. And sure enough, when... The music hit, and it was the Firefly Funhouse music, and Bray came down there skipping and smiling with his Mr. Rogers sweater on. Uh, I loved he complimented the cameraman and the announcers. Uh, we knew that Braun was in a good position. Braun took over the match early. He threw Bray around the ring, which, again, Bray is a big dude, so it was really impressive. Uh, I loved how Wyatt laughed off a lot of Braun's aggression, uh, particularly early in the match. They took the fight outside the ring, and Wyatt was able to turn the tide in the battle uh, when he threw Braun into the announce table. 
Uh, Strowman would shock Bray when he kicked out of the sister Abigail and they got back in the match uh, and then uh, put on the black sheet mask uh, for the first time in years. Bray fell to his knees when Braun did this. He was saying, yes, everything's going to be right this time around. Welcome home. You actually saw the puppets in the corners, which they've done on the SmackDown, also saying, come home, Braun, come home. Uh, and then, you know, Braun removed the mask, kind of showed that, you know, I got you here, threw the mask on the ground, stomped on it, and then hit his finisher on a shot Bray. I, I just, I love this match. I thought that it was really well done. I thought it was a good match just to start off. I thought that they did a wonderful job of, because we talked about this, how are they going to have two of the hottest, you know, guys that they have on their roster face each other and not make either one look weak. Well, they, you know, as you predicted, had Bray not be the fiend. They're going to save him for bigger events. Uh, And that way, you know, he loses, but it's like it's Bray. It's not the fiend. And he still put up a really good fight. And he actually, you need to remember, was controlling the match until Braun kind of tricked him by taking the mask, which has been sort of the buildup of Bray wanting Braun to come home, uh, you know, and kind of trick Bray into getting down on his knees, getting in a, you know, a, a place of comfort, and then, you know, obviously hitting him with his finisher. So I think we need to give credit where credit is due. Uh, you know, what did you think about this match overall? Um, well, it, Gave me exactly what I was expecting. Um, uh, what's really uh, overlooked through Braun Strowman's rise is Braun is learning how to tell a really great story with his work. So it was really great seeing him and Bray, you know, collar and elbowing. You can see that they would combo or, or counter each other's moves. Uh, like when Braun went for the, the, the train uh, on the outside, the first pass, Bray did a nice little slick step to the side right. and sent him flying over the announce the table. Okie doke. Yeah, yep. it was it was really beautiful. So I, I was very impressed with the match. Um, like I said, um, with Bray coming down, I kind of figured that Braun was going to win, but still was in the air during the match. Very impressed with what they put on, though. I, I was very happy that they definitely gave us what we were expecting. In the following heavyweight championship match, Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre, they put on one hell of a night, if not the match of the night, possibly a candidate of match of the year. I would have given anything to have had a live audience for this because once again, um, like we had said, Seth and Drew, especially with uh, Drew now Adding moves to his skill set. He's definitely been upping his game. They had a really fantastic match. You know, Drew showed his power early, pushing Seth around, dominated until Seth uh, pulled the Bailey and went after the leg. He applied several submissions, including uh, the single Boston, uh, single leg Boston Crab. Eventually, Drew would rally and kick out of everything. I must also throw in there, again, Drew looking strong, doing a lot of kickouts at one. 
you would see that mm-hmm. Seth would get highly frustrated, went for the chair, but decided not to use it. They would trade curb stomps, and you know that was the only time that Drew actually got to a two count being uh, under the pin. A second Claymore after that would put Drew down, and then after the match, you see Seth just kind of questioning himself, and then Drew goes to him, and it's like, I was the better man. Shake my hand. I, I really liked everything that they put together with this match. What did you think of that heavyweight championship match? I loved it. Uh, I, I just, again, I think Seth Rollins because, you know, and again, not to get back to the Daniel Bryan, but, you know, WWE fans are fickle. I mean, this guy was the most over guy in the company one year ago. And, you know, sort of like Roman Reigns and Cena before them. And even Hogan at the end of his run when he first was with WWE, then WWF. Fans get tired of guys winning and, you know, sort of seeming like, you know, the machine is pushing them. Because we all know these results are, you know, they're predetermined. And they feel like Seth got to be that guy, you know. And they turned against him. And, I mean, like the Falcon Arrow suplex that he does off the top rope. I mean, Mm. he just is an incredible worker. I love the chemistry with him and Drew. And we're going to discuss Monday Night Raw here in a few minutes. But then when you take what happened at the end of this match where Seth was so frustrated that he couldn't put Drew down and then for Drew to force him to shake his hand And then to see his reaction on Monday Night Raw, I'll I'll say it again. This Monday Night Messiah, this current, uh, you know, version of Seth Rollins is arguably my favorite Seth Rollins since he's been with WWE. And he's already had some really good, uh, you know, different versions of himself just in the seven, eight years he's been up on the main roster. So I'm very excited to see where his story goes. And I think Drew is being set up to have a really good first title run. Yeah, totally. Um, Like we said, they're putting a a lot of real good competition in front of Drew. And he's been looking really strong. Um, Like I said, consistently adding to the repertoire. He's, I don't know if it's me, but he's looking a little, both him and Braun since winning the championships are looking a little more defined. Like Braun's lost the gut. Uh, Drew's looking a little thicker uh, at the shoulders. I, I, I don't know. But regardless, these guys are looking great right now. Well, Ric Flair used to always say everybody looks bigger when they have that world belt around their waist. And uh, there's some fairness to that. And again, I do have to say, though, I wish there was a crowd there because they would have lost their freaking minds for this match. Like I know they would have, uh, I think it would have been one of those matches, especially with the pacing of it, that the crowd would have just been going insane. So the last match of the night was the money in the bank. You need to remember that both the men's and women would be happening at the same time. Uh, they were filmed sort of in a similar manner to the Firefly Funhouse and Boneyard. And what I mean by that is there was definitely a lot of tape segments. Uh, I loved how they mixed in some comedy and uh, different things into the match. But uh, I know some people are going to complain because there was parts that were corny and there was. 
but I thought some of them were hilarious and they really tried different things, which I, I keep harping through all these podcasts. That's all I'm asking from any of these wrestling organizations right now is you have a chance to be bold. You have a chance to be different. Try stuff. Take some shots. And kudos to W. Yeah. Kudos to them for trying that. So from the start, I thought it was really cool. They had all the, uh, uh, entrances are basically uh, it was almost like starting a video game where they would just show one of the competitors give their name in the hotel lobby right off the bat they had a great spot where Asuka had like climbed <laughs> over the railing on the second floor and was hanging over the elevators and so the second they said go she jumped down on all the women competitors to get that head start and there is a picture out there if you haven't seen of her hanging over them, like looking gleefully as she knows she's about to sneak attack all of them. It's great. If you haven't, I'll post it in the Facebook group. Uh, the, the guys initially fought in the uh, workout room where AJ Styles was eventually trapped by heavy weights on his chest from Otis. Uh, we had several guest appearances as both the men and female went through the uh, headquarters for WWE. The first was Dude Love, who was in the restroom. We had a Doink the Clown sighting in the elevator lobby. And the two McMahons were the, the comical highlights of the night. Uh, Stephanie made her appearance when the women found a conference room and were brawling in it. And they were going into a lot of different rooms. Well, there was a Money in the Bank briefcase hanging over the conference table. And so there's five women in there. They're brawling. Dana Brooke eventually would take the chair, hit uh, Nia Jax over the back with it, go up, grab the briefcase, and for just a moment, even though you could see it was not the same Money in the Bank briefcase, there was cash inside of it. You're thinking, wow, did Dana Brooke just win the Money in the Bank? And at that moment, Stephanie opens the door, asks them what the hell they're doing, they're destroying the office, and they know the briefcase is on the roof. They had talked about this, and to get the hell out, uh, it was great. Uh, the other kind of McMahon moment was Daniel Bryan and AJ were fighting in an office. They did not pan back. It was a close-up shot. And then as the camera uh, panned back, Vince McMahon is on the other side of the table just staring at them with that, you know, just disgusted Vince McMahon look that he gets. They finally make eye contact with him. He tells them to get out of his office. It was so great because they leave, and then both of them come back in and rearrange the furniture, which uh, was just a really nice touch. They even argued on their way out about who was being a bigger sissy, and Daniel's like, it was your idea to go back in there and rearrange the furniture. Again, they're taking chances. It was great. Vince actually was seen putting hand sanitizer on as the guys left. And then the final non-wrestling part that I loved involved AJ Styles, who we know just had the Boneyard match at Mania a few months ago. Uh, Styles was first in a hotel, uh, the lobby and noticed an Undertaker poster on the wall. And I haven't rewatched it, but I swore I heard the Undertaker's uh, gone. Yeah, I thought and I he did looked too. Over it and was like, no way. And uh, but I'm not sure if that was just me. But so you can tell it kind of freaked him out. Well, moments later, he is opening doors of all the conference rooms, and he opens one, 
And it's obviously in the Undertaker, you know, dark with the purple highlights. There's actually a casket in there. And, I mean, AJ Styles has some pretty comic time. He just looked in there and went, no way, no way, and started to leave the room. At that point, Aleister Black pushed him in there. I don't understand how he supposedly locked him from the outside. I've never seen that's how locks typically work, but he locked the door. Uh, eventually the guys and girls both made it up to the top. The girls were first. Uh, Asuka would eventually get to the top of the ladder. She would be the first person all the way up there. And then Baron Corbin runs up there. And for only reasons Baron Corbin can tell you, he tried to attack Asuka. There's two briefcases. They could have each grabbed their briefcase. Asuka obviously didn't like him trying to take a cheap shot. She kicked him knocked him down. She wins the women's money in the bank ladder match. And then for the guys early or uh, as they first got up there, Otis tried to climb up the ladder again, had the spot where he broke it with his foot, which I'm like, man, they are just really rubbing in this. Like, you know, Otis's fat thing that they did from SmackDown. I'm not even going to mention that Corbin basically committed murder twice he threw both Rey Mysterio and Aleister Black over the side uh, of this building, which was, I, I don't really know why they had to include that because, I mean, it really did leave you thinking that he just killed those guys. But AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan are, are climbing the ladder, fighting for the briefcase. Right as AJ Styles gets it off the hook, him and Daniel Bryan tussle for a second. And I love the spot because I've never seen it before. The briefcase is dropped. The camera pans down, and there's Otis with it at his feet. He picks it up. He wins the men's money in the land or money in the bank ladder match. So you have Otis on the men's side, Oscar's on the women. Were you as high about this? I, I was I over it. the moon for this for the entire match, um, especially for my, my my girl Oscar. I was I was so excited, and the fact that she had start just started it off with. The, the big splash off of the second floor. Uh, it was a her great doing spot. her little thing in the elevator on the way. I, I, I just so happy. Um, <laughs> all the cinematics into it that they did was really well done. Um, I too got caught for a quick second uh, with Dana Brooke before Stephanie jumped in. It was really uh, put together very well. I was very happy with how it all turned out. And I was happy with both of our winners. I didn't think that there was any way that Otis was actually going to win this. And the fact that he did, and there really must be excited about, like there, there must be a social media buzz about what's going on with Otis for them to be getting this push so soon. But I'm excited about it. And I, I, yeah. <laughs> I could... I could see him and Mandy, especially with her aggression, you know, on Friday, I could see a version where they turn them both heel and Otis with the briefcase could be fantastic. Now I know everybody loves the, you know, silly Otis. And that was the other thing I forgot. Oh, yeah. You know, we had the food fight, uh, which was again, juvenile, stupid, but it was funny. I mean, it's funny and it's like, it's fun. And like, that's what we're looking for right now. And Paul Heyman, you're right. Uh, So I just, 
I just hope this is not a deal where Otis is getting the briefcase to lose. Because that's the one thing I do worry. As you know, every few years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everybody cannot catch it. Damian Sandow, and I believe Cena. Right. So I hope that's not why he was chosen because, you know, he's red hot. And they gave him kind of a silly storyline. And he's made, you know, as you you say, uh, you know, lemonade out of lemons. So. I hope they give him, you know, his chance with it, and, and maybe they will. Anything you want uh, want to include on the money in the bank? No, no parting thoughts on that. I, other than uh, Bravo WWE for doing a fantastic production, smartly and quickly. Yep, I thought it was great. I agree with you. So. I reached out to you on Monday a few hours before. There was rumors flying everywhere. Becky Lynch sent out a message on social media that she wasn't injured, but she hadn't been seen in a while, and she was going to make a big announcement. Uh, I had actually heard several places on social media, and it was from people who were pretty reliable sources, uh, exactly what the rumor was. It ended up being true. But she came out with the briefcase, which was the first – uh, you know, kind of what's going on because, you know, she didn't have her title. She had the briefcase. Uh, you know, Oscar then, of course, came out as Becky was emotional, really didn't get much out. And then Oscar shows up. She goes, Oscar, I know you're angry. I know I have your briefcase. I want to explain to, you know, you why you don't even realize that you were fighting for so much more. That, I think, was the point when people started realizing, okay, the championship belt is in there. And, you know, Becky told her there was a combo lock on there. She opens it and the belt's in there. And she goes, you're the champion. And Asuka is all excited and doing her Asuka stuff, running around, just being fantastic. And then Becky made the comment that you go be the warrior that I know you are, and I'm going to go be a mother. So obviously this means that Becky is pregnant. Her and Seth Rollins are expecting their first child. Asuka is now the champion immediately, which makes the decision for Asuka over Nia and Shayna to win the Money in the Bank make so much more sense uh, because she deserves this. I think she's the right person that can handle it. But to be honest, I really think the big part of this is Becky has been the most over person in WWE for over a year and a half. Uh, and that's just a fact. If you look at the raw ratings, she consistently has the highest rated segment. Her uh, stuff on YouTube, like the clips from her from the show, are always the highest, uh, the most views. WWE's got to be a little worried. I mean, we're talking about a minimum probably of 16 to 18 months of her being gone. And I kind of got the feeling from what she said and the fact that she posted afterwards, I don't know what the next chapter is. She hasn't even made up her mind that she is going to come back, at least not anytime in the near future. What is WWE going to do without her moving That's forward? tough because you just outlined it all. Like, honestly, I've been one of the biggest Becky Marks. I, I really have. I, I don't say it a lot. But especially leading up to uh, becoming Becky Two Belts and the beginning of her title reign. How can you not? I mean, she she's absolutely been so was great. phenomenal. And this is a big, big, uh, you know, bad mark against Raw right now. So it 
does kind of uh, let you question the timing as to what's going on with uh, Charlotte. And I guess kind of explains why maybe we've been seeing more of her, even though she's the NXT champion. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just yep. get in a quick celebratory for Oscar, my yeah. girl. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I didn't think it was going to be your time immediately, but I'm happy. Um, they're letting her, they're just letting her be her. And, like you can even really mm-hmm. almost understand her, even though we can't. Like when she stormed out there, like <laughs> I was even saying, what are you doing? Why are you running from me? You know, this is my time. Something to that effect. You can figure out that's what she was saying. I'm just so happy exactly. that, you know, Asuka is the champion, but this is going to be a really tough time for the ladies of WWE. And that's as a whole, especially now that uh, they're doing the wild card thing where people are going to be going back and forth. They're going to need something to generate a, a lot of buzz for this. How long before they throw the bank at Ronda Rousey to have another run? I could see pretty soon, quite honestly. And that would be something that would definitely help draw Becky back uh, after motherhood. I agree. I agree. And that's what I was going to say is I think that Vince, not only because he needs Rhonda, because she also, uh, you know, was one of the more popular people uh, during her time there, especially in the beginning I think he knows more than anything that if he brings Ronda in, it's more likely that Becky's going to want to come back because we know that that's, you know, I've said it, that's the biggest money match they have left. Guys or women uh, is the Becky Ronda, you know, one-on-one, mm. you know, battle. And uh, it, it would be great to, to see, but congratulations to Becky Lynch. Congratulations to Seth Rollins. And it's pretty remarkable. Um, that obviously they decided this is what they wanted to do because Becky, no wrestler has ever made a sacrifice like this. There has been women wrestler that have been pregnant uh, during, you know, kind of the peak of their career, but never at the, the level that Becky Lynch was right now. I mean, she had the wrestling world at her fingertips and good for her that she decided, you know, I've done it all and I really want to, you know, have a child with the man I love. So I'm very Ditto. happy. Ditto. Um, absolutely. Congratulations, Seth Rollins, Becky Lynch. Going forward, the Bobby Lashley push continued with a dominating win over Humberto Carrillo. Yes. A fantastic match. Oh, my God. Pulled out the Ken Patera, made him tap out to the full Nelson. It was absolutely fantastic. Do you think they're really going to be committed to this push that they're giving Bobby Lashley right now? They sure do seem to. And let me give them more credit because, you know, we sometimes, you know, harp on WWE. Let me give them kudos when they deserve kudos. So not only have they built a cohesive storyline here where you had, you know, Lashley uh, dominate the uh, the the last chance match, the gauntlet match, he got disqualified. So they did two things here. Not only did they let Lashley, you know, look strong there, he looked strong at the pay-per-view, he looked strong here. They had a no disqualification match because he lost to Humberto in the gauntlet match because he was honestly unjustly disqualified. So, like, 
There's symmetry. They're building him up. I, I think that they kind of have finally figured out. They've looked around the locker room and go, you know, Raw doesn't have a lot of horses. SmackDown actually has the guys. Uh, you could say what you want about some of their storylines and what they're doing with them. Raw really doesn't have a lot of big names. Bobby Lashley is one. He looks like a million bucks. I'm really excited to see what they do. As am I. Uh, it's, it's long overdue. I agree. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because Drew McIntyre faced off against Andrade again this week. It was a short match. It was really good. I am not taking anything away from either one of these two competitors. They have amazing chemistry, but this is too many matches between them in a short period of time. Like I, I this, this is the kind of stuff that I don't get. It. It's like this is why people stop turning into Raw is because you see the same match, you know, over and over again. I mean, this is what, the fourth or fifth time they fought in six, seven weeks? It's totally. just too much. And considering the segment that um, he had came out to interrupt Zelina Vega's stable and seeing that there is a little, a little dissension in the ranks between Garz, you know, there's Garza and Andrade on one side and Austin Theory yep. on the outside, they set him up first for the Claymore. Uh, if we were going to make a match right there, mm-hmm. why not – uh, Claymore Andrade, since you've already uh, battled with him a couple of times, and you know, take out Tony Garza. I mean, Garza's been putting up a bunch of he's been putting in a bunch of great work and a bunch of really great heel work. That uh, I honestly see bright things for uh, Mr. Garza for his future. But yeah, let's not repeat the Andrade thing because it really didn't serve a purpose. You're wasting two guys that have amazing chemistry together by oversaturating it. And they just don't need to do that. So the Iconics have returned. Uh, Yeah, uh, You know what's funny? They came out uh, during – they were the guests for a moment of bliss. Uh, Alexa and Nikki came over to Raw (laughs) to uh, put on a moment of bliss. We got ourselves in an impromptu match because, you know, there was a little uh, smack talking where the iconic said, hey, you know, we were the first chance. We want our belts back. We want a shot. Nikki and Alexa are like, hey, you can't just come back and ask for a shot. But they were like, well, I don't care. We came for a fight. And they the only thing that uh, is I I was happy about the entire thing, but the thing that I was thinking while watching it is what you and I consider uh, consistently harp on about champions in tag team yes. champs. Yes, losing. Sir. Yeah. Uh, that was the only problem I really had. I mean, I'm happy to see the Iconics back. They did a bunch of really great uh, tag team work. You can tell that they've been definitely putting in some work uh, while they've been away. Are you happy to see the Iconics back? Man, I am. Uh, I don't know if it's the the accents, uh, the fact that they kind of remind me a little bit of Vicky Guerrero, mm. who I always had a soft spot for because she just, you know, she get the crowd to boo them. They can too. Like in front of a live audience, I've seen it in person. They come out there with those voices and their high pitch and their, you know, the iconic, <laughs> like just people start booing. And you need those kind of people on the roster uh, I was sad that they've been gone and not been used for so long. I'm happy to see them back. And more than anything, they're one of the few true tag teams 
in WWE on the ladies' side where that's what they've always been. They've never been single competitors who have been put together. And I was actually really disappointed when they ended their title reign so shortly because they beat mm. Sasha mm-hmm. and Bailey. You know what I mean? Like that was, it was supposed to that's be a, a big really deal. big deal. Sasha and Bailey were a, uh, yeah, exactly. And they kind of, in my opinion, wasted a big moment for them. So I'm glad to see them getting back. And I hope this leads to a push for them. And I hope they're champs because they're more interesting to me as tag team champs. And there's more faces on raw and the ladies division that could use the opportunity to be chasing the tag team titles to where it just to me makes more totally sense. Totally agree with you there. Uh, the next match was Aleister Black and Rey Mysterio took on Buddy Murphy and Seth Rollins. This match was all about Seth Rollins. I was interested even before it came out just to be like, man, well, how are they going to play the, you know, Seth and Becky thing? Because they didn't directly mention mm-hmm. Seth. I don't believe as being the father. So, man, Seth came to the ring looking like a zombie. Actually, they did. Uh, Sorry to interrupt you, but yes. Oh, they did? No, you're good. Right before the match, uh, Ray was being uh, interviewed and Seth kind of came through looking all disheveled. And he congratulated. Yeah. That's what it was. Okay. So, Ray did mention it. It was just the announcers did not, correct? Okay, so Seth came to the ring, like, literally looking like a zombie. His hair was all froed out. I don't know if you noticed. I think he was poking his stomach out. You know, normally Seth's got, like, the <laughs> six-pack and stuff. It was almost like he was trying to push his gut out. He had this expressionless look on his face. And, I mean, it literally looked like his soul had been stolen, which was kind of confusing at first because you're like, you know he's the dad. Uh is this supposed to be at the fact that he's a father or is this supposed to be, you know, he's distraught over his loss to to Drew on Sunday, but he would not get involved in the match. Buddy Murphy is just fighting his ass off against both Aleister Black and Rey Mysterio. And I mean, Seth is just, he is just only there in his body, not in spirit. It's the opposite of what you normally see. And Ray went for a 619, and out of nowhere, Seth grabbed him through the ropes, threw him down on the ground. Now, I don't know how that was a disqualification. They are tag team partners. I don't understand that. That that I didn't get. But Seth snapped, and I mean snapped. And you got to remember, this is a guy that up until this point on this episode, he had been emotionless, and he went nuts he ended up driving Rey Mysterio's eye into the steel steps which was was really really gnarly like gruesome looking uh it really was uh and then something interesting I didn't think about until actually just before we started this podcast what is up with him and Aleister Black because they didn't get involved in that when him and Buddy Murphy got into the altercation afterwards, Seth was mysteriously nowhere to be found. So what is up with that? And then how much do you like this little tweak that Seth Rollins has made yet again? Seth just continues to uh, evolve and put on masterful work. Like the usually unshakable Alistair Black was even looking like he's about to mix it up with Buddy, but just looking over like, going on what with is up you? with this guy <laughs> and 
it was absolutely great. And then when he lost it like that, uh, you saw him screaming at Buddy because uh, I believe Buddy uh, wiped out Alistair Black. I don't remember exactly how, but then he screamed at Buddy, "Get back!" And you know, and he yeah, you're you right. Know, Buddy fell back in his classic acolyte pose or whatever, and just kind of sat and watched. <laughs> it was amazing what Seth did. Uh, I'm very happy that, you know, he's going to be a father, but the way he used that from the pre-interview all the way through that match, where he didn't even come to life until, I believe, Ray, like, elbowed him uh, in the corner, something like yep, that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it mm-hmm. was totally great I, I was very very impressed this was a great follow-up to a really good pay-per-view i it, i'm just very happy monday night raw put on a really great production from top to bottom and you know i think seth took a little personal offense to our boy chris jericho saying for the first time since 2010, I feel like I'm the best wrestler in the mm. world because Seth Rollins is one of the few guys that has a legit argument and I'm better. And we know Seth's better in the ring right now by mm-hmm. leaps and bounds. And that's nothing against Chris Jericho. It's just Seth is, yeah. I think, the best wrestler in the world inside the ring. Uh, but his character, its you're starting to see shades of Jericho because he continues to evolve. Yes, no, you know I, I, mean? I get it's exactly It's not the same going. Seth Rollins for any long period. He, he continues to evolve and tweak his character. And I am so excited to see what they do with this. Certainly, you know, it, it really, like you said, he's been evolving just when he, you think he's about to get too stale. He throws mm-hmm. another new wrinkle, new entrance yeah. music too. Yeah. More, really more new smart. wrinkles. I absolutely love it. Following that match, Natalia, her and Shayna Baszler uh, had a little exchange before that because Shayna began mocking Becky Ooh, and Dupont, did she man I, I had meant to I, Call I, a I, parasite. I wish I had had my lappy open because I was trying to write and I was just like I'm not going to be able to get this all but when she s- talked about what do you know about motherhood the heart line, the heart. She said she had a parasite right. growing in her gut, man. Woo. And then, and then when Woo. she said to Nat, "The heart legacy ends with you." Oh. And then they went and they got it on. Nat showed a lot of promise, you know. Of course, being the elder statesman, and she's a very tough girl. But in the end, Shayna's aggression and hit her with a phenomenal knee strike and just laid her out. It's a great little match. It really was. What do you think that they're going to do with this little angle that they've got developing there? I hope they build it to a program. I really do because this was a shorter match, but it was a really good one. And And it was one that it makes sense that it was the length that it was because Shayna just thinks she's, you know, above Natalia. And in a lot of ways, she is. I mean, she's, you know, younger and stronger and all that stuff. And, but Natalia is a prop. And as you're saying, she's like the elder states, you know, woman. Not right. that Natalia's that yeah. old, but you know what I mean? She's been around WWE for forever. And, you know, I think she was legitimately shocked and definitely angry, which I love to see that when she got hit 
you know, with the finisher and, and got the one, two, three. I mean, you know, Shayna walked off all cocky. Natalie was kicking the ropes and just looked disgusted with herself. And I've always thought Natalia was an underrated heel. And I would love it if these two battle and eventually join forces because I think Natalia would be good for Shayna because uh, Natalia actually can talk. And I don't know yet if Shayna can, although with that promo she gave beforehand, good mm. Lord. Uh, and just again, kudos to WWE because something that has happened in wrestling, particularly in WWE, is they're afraid to push the line. And I understand there's some stuff you just can't say and you just can't do, but I thought it was great that everybody's, you know, so happy for Becky and Shane is just like, you know, you're going to be a terrible mother. You're a terrible person and you have a parasite <laughs> growing in your, you know, your womb. So good luck with that. And you're an idiot for leaving all this behind when you're the champ, uh, like good for WWE. It's great. And man, I just wish a crowd again, a crowd would have been there. Cause could you imagine lost their how happy that crowd would have been for Becky and then for her? To, oh, it would have been awesome. I mean, it would have been like the Sean stuff when he's, you know, humping a Canadian flag in Toronto. <laughs> it would have been wonderful. So to end the show, there was a promo where Randy Orton challenged Edge to a regular wrestling match. Now, Orton said in this promo that the better man won the encounter, but the better wrestler did not. Now, I I thought it was a great promo. I just think Charlie oversold it with saying that it's going to be even more. Like, how can a regular wrestling match top what they did i mean it was a great promo and i think that was the only thing that kind of took away from that promo i don't understand what she's doing there in that situation anyway and this is no offense to charlie because there's a lot of times that she is but this is edge and orton this is two guys that that i mean good no lord there's needed. not two guys that are in a ring right now with well yeah there's they, they got so much experience they can handle it they don't need somebody to ask questions or to further the promo slash interview. Uh, and it was a shame because other than that, I thought it was perfect. You know, Edge barely got a word in. Uh, and his, again, Edge's facial expressions, which is something that is, you know, not talked about when it, you know, about a, a good promo or a good, you know, character is being able to convey stuff with your face, which is what I feel like Braun Strowman has gotten so much better at. You know what I mean? Braun has really got where he conveys a lot with his facial expressions. And because Edge looked like, you know, Randy Orton is making a lot of sense. And and again, I love Randy the way, you know, at first he told him the better man won. He shook his hand and then he left. And then he went, nah, nah, nah. You could just see I, I, came nah. back. He was, I tried to be the better man. That ain't me. He was like, look, you may be the better man and you may have won that match, but I'm the better wrestler and you know it. And there's no way without, you know, all these bells and whistles and, you know, being able to do whatever you want, you can beat me in the middle of the ring. And it just was really effective. And I'm jacked again. You know what I mean? They've got me hooked back in again to this feud. And it just shows when you have two consonant professionals who have done it all and you kind of, I think they're letting them kind of run this story. It's great. And if WWE will stay out of it, because I'm sure they were the ones who wanted Charlie there, uh, it would be damn near perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was, the, that was the, one of the few things that I, I just couldn't understand is like Charlie in his. 
apologize. Did I lose you? <laughs> <laughs>